This is uh, part two in four-part series when we talk about Joseph. Now, the thing with Joseph is, is he, he occupies more space in, in the Torah as far as an individual goes. I mean, in the book of Genesis, we talk more about the life of Yosef than we do any other person. And so the, the effects, I mean, even the life of Yosef, it's because of Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Yosef. So everything that happens from this point forward, even the Yaakov, Yosef is still a, a big role in it. So there's a lot to be said about, about this person, Yosef. And, you know, we talked last week about how he relates to uh, Messiah. We talked about Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David, just a little bit. Talking about uh, there, is, there is a Messiah who would um, be a servant, who would, who would be suffering, but then there is a Messiah that would rule and reign. Uh, my opinion, I mean, we see different shadows in different people, like King David, right? But it's the same guy, <laughs> okay? Uh, it's Yeshua. So here we find more things about the life of Yeshua and the life of Yosef, how they tie together. We find more things with the prophetic role of Yosef and how he plays in our lives for today. And uh, there's a lot to be said here, okay? And... Uh, I don't want to like start to ruin everything <laughs> by getting ahead of myself, but if we're really careful as we go through these, these, these last four Parsha, we can really see a lot open up to us that's relevant right now. Okay, so you ready? All right, so let's jump into it. First off, Miketz is the name of the Parsha. Miketz, and it means at the end, or from the end, or out of the end. It's a compound word, mean and ketz, which means from the extremity, or from something that's after. And so we've pointed this out before, even the other years when we've, when we've talked about this Parsha. But it's really interesting, nonetheless. I mean, even though we've talked about it before, it's worth bringing up. I mean, here, at, at, in, in the book called The Beginning, Bereshit, in the beginnings, right? We have a, t a portion that is titled, From the End. And so we find some prophetic things that are going to happen here. Because in the book, from the beginning, we find things that happen at the end. Now, you know as well as I do, the end of something is never the end of something. The end of something is the beginning of something else. Okay? And so what we have at the end, is it the end of Joseph? No, it's not. It's, it's the beginning of his rise of what Yah had planned for him. Is it the end of, of Israel going down to Egypt? No, it's, it's the beginning. It's the rise, the taking shape of how Israel was going to go down into this land, which, by the way, was what Yahweh promised Avraham. Not too many people have noticed that, that the whole idea of, of all Israel going down into Mitzrayim because of Yosef, and then ultimately a Pharaoh rising that doesn't know Yosef and enslaving them, Yah told Abraham that was going to happen. Okay, so, so this, believe it or not, this was part of what Yah said he was going to do. Okay? All right, Genesis 41.1. We read, so at the end of two years, right? At the end of two years, uh, two years since what? Since the baker and the cupbearer had dreams, Yosef explained these dreams, right? And he, and he told the man, so he told the cupbearer, you're going to be restored. He told the baker, you're going to die. But he told the cupbearer, so when you go back, remember me. Right? He didn't. He didn't. Until <laughs> Pharaoh had dreams, and now it became a matter of, if I don't speak up now, saying, I know someone who was interpreting dreams, now I'm withholding information from Pharaoh. So I have to say something now. Right? So even in this, is, is this a matter of Pharaoh has dreams and so now Yosef has to go try to interpret these dreams? Or was it a matter of the time was now and right for things to start happening and taking place? Therefore, Yah gave Pharaoh the dreams knowing none of the, none of the other people could interpret it that they would have to call Yosef. You know, I don't believe it was coincidence, guys. I don't believe Pharaoh just happened to have dreams and he happened to remember. no. I believe the time was now for things to start rolling. That now was the time for things to happen. Okay? So again, at the right time, Yah moves. Okay? So here, at the end of two years, but it literally reads in the Hebrew like this. 
literally, and it will be at the end of two years of days. See, shana is the word for a year, yom is the word for a day. So he says at the end of two years of days. That's kind of prophetic imagery. Okay? So if we look at it this way, so at the end of two years of days, well, two years of days can also represent like maybe 2,000. You know, and just kind of as we go through the Parsha, keep that focus. Keep that focus of, of this prophetic imagery that's there about a revealing of the Messiah, about a revealing of the sons of God, a revealing of the sons of Israel, and how this is all taking place now. Because you're going to see it. Okay? You, you may not have seen it before, but you're going to see it as you read through the story. And once you do see it, you can't not see it. Right? Okay. So Miketz is the time that we must give when things seem out of control, not under our control. What does that mean? Did Yosef have control over anything to do with him being released? No. I mean, he had authority while he was in the prison, right? He, he ruled certain things there in, in the prison, but he had no control over him getting out. And what did he want? Did he want to live in the prison? No, he wanted, he wanted free. So he had no control over this. Now, Miketz is this time frame. So at the end of something, the question is, what are we waiting for? And, and keep in mind that faith is not just waiting. I mean, you may have heard that, right? Faith means just waiting for God, you know? Hoping. But it's not just that. Faith is not just waiting. Faith is your attitude while you're waiting. <laughs> See, because you say, you know, I know God's going to do this, and I know God's got this. Well, come on already, you know? I mean, so, it, so it's, it's got to do with more than just saying, yes, I'm waiting on you, Lord. It's got to do with, Lord, I'm waiting on you, and help me in these areas, you know? Uh, I love the idea of the man that came to Yeshua and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's just honest, right? He was saying, I believe, but there are areas that I, yeah, I fall short in. You know, so if we're honest like that, I believe that's where he can come in and intervene, right? And then Maquettes, how was Yosef delivered? He waited in the prison, right? And then he was delivered immediately. Wow. See, it's even like when they came out of Egypt, they were delivered in a night. But it took 430 years to get to that one night. See, it took time for everything to, to roll up and shape place. And when it happened, it happened like that. Right? What's to say God can't work like that in our life? So we get to the dreams again. So not, Pharaoh has two dreams. But not only did Pharaoh have two dreams, Yosef had two dreams. Remember that? Yosef had two dreams, and keep in mind that the dreams that Yosef had, they were agricultural dreams, weren't they? Well, the sun, moon, and stars, yeah, but then the, 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 the bales of the wheat and things like that, right? So still, agriculturally related. And so there's, there's kind of a theme that's coming in here. One, the sun, moon, and stars, let's talk about uh, rulership and authority, and again, the grain and the wheat and the sustenance and the life and all this being tied together, Right? So the two dreams, why two dreams? Because they were the same dream, really. Not like identical dreams, but they had the same meaning. They had the same interpretations, okay? Why two? Well, because Scripture says, let everything be established how? Two or three witnesses. Two or more witnesses, right? So God was giving these two dreams here so that, so that he, you would know it's going to happen quickly. Okay, so you have the one dream, and then you, and then you have the, another dream. But it's the same meaning behind the dreams. Right? Can you imagine? You, you, you go to sleep and you have the same dream every night. What would you think? Maybe someone's trying to tell me something. Right? Yeah? So this is what was going on. This is what's happening and it's going to happen quickly. Okay? Rabbi Akiva says, All is foreseen, yet freedom of choice is given. What does that mean? All is foreseen, yet freedom of choice is given. Is given. It's kind of like, do we really have free will? You know, getting the big theological debate, right? Is everything preordained or do we really have our choice in the matter? And I believe the answer to that is yes. <laughs> On which one? Both. <laughs> okay? So can these two coincide? Okay, here's the thing. If God knows in advance we are going to do X, whatever that is, then we are not, then we are not free to not do it. Does that make sense? If God knows we're going to do this, 
then we're going to do it, right? But on the other hand, I feel like Tevye, right? <laughs> on the other hand, we are genuinely free, then no one can know what we will choose before we choose it. The apparent paradox arises because of the nature of time. We live in time, God lives beyond it. Different time perspectives allow for different levels of knowledge. In other words, he knows what we're going to do. He knows our intent. He knows our actions. He knows our character. He knows wh wh where our, our, what we're leaning towards, our bent. He knows these things. But at the same time, we can make a choice. That's why so many times in the scripture he puts before us, make the choice. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. He may know what we're inclined to do, but we can still make the choice. So Torah shows us a later event can force us to reinterpret an earlier one. We may see this today, what you may have heard, hindsight is 2020, right? What does that mean? Oh, everyone can look back and understand something, but it's when you're in the midst of something where it's a little more difficult. So in going through something, you may not be able to interpret something as it really is because you have a limited scope of what you see, what you perceive. What you get outside of that you could see other perspectives. This is what we're talking about. So things are not as, as perceived or interpreted them to be. This shows us the difference between two perspectives, which is the present and hindsight. What's the difference? Again, the present, where we're at now, and the choices we have to make right now in hindsight. Oh, I should have or would have, right? We have a different view sometimes looking back. Thing is, when we get to a point in the Word where our present... We're not looking back to see what we should have done, but we're in the present looking towards the future, looking towards the words to know how to walk. And that way we're not constantly trying to do the hindsight thing. Okay? But we can always look back and learn, right? Well, what's, the, what's the deal with all this? Guys, Joseph had to learn. Remember how he was talking to his brothers? Hey, I've had these dreams. Check it out. Come hear this dream. Right? And so now he, he had to be put in a place where some of that pride and some of that uh, youth arrogance had to get worked out of him, right? I think it did. Because as we, we, we read the story forward, we hear a different tune coming from him, right? So two time perspectives found in Judaism is halakha and agadah. Halakha is learning to make choices in the present. Halakha is the way we are directed to behave in every aspect of life, encompassing civil, criminal, and religious law. Halakha is our daily walk. We would call it sanctification. It's the way we do the things we do, right? And Agadah literally is uh, telling. So it's like a story or telling. So you're speaking of what has happened already. So through telling or a story, it investigates or interprets the meaning, the values, and the ideas which underlies specific distinctions that govern religious life. So through what we're doing now, we can learn of what, we, of what has been done. And through what has been done, we can learn of what to do now. See, we work together. So the question is, are we free? Yes, we are free, right? But we are also, let's say, characters in a divinely scripted drama. We choose, but we are chosen. You see that? We choose. We have choices, but we are chosen. We live between these two frames of reference in our life. We live between freedom and providence, which is our decisions in God's plan. We're constantly living between that. This is what God is saying. This is our choice. This is what we do. Right? So we're constantly living between what God desires and our will to do what, to do what He desires or to do our own thing. What does Proverbs say? Proverbs 69, a person may plan his path, but Adonai directs his steps. See, we have plans. We make plans. We do these things, but God is at liberty to change our plans at any time. Okay? All right. So Pharaoh has two dreams. And two dreams, what do the two mean? This is going to happen quickly, right? Genesis 41.8, it came to pass in the morning. His spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for who? All the magicians of Egypt and the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told his dream, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Well, go figure. Let's take a quick look at Job. Job 33, 14. For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. 
in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds. Then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings, that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from man. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Does God use dreams? Yes, he does. You know? uh, it's funny because sometimes you get people who are you know, pretty proud about getting dreams from God. And here's the thing, guys. I do believe God gives dreams. Okay? I don't believe every dream is from God. You know, me and my wife, Faith, you know, we, we've talked about this many times. I do believe dreams have meanings. Even if that meaning is you shouldn't have ate that before you went to bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turkey pepperoni, right? Yeah. Um, so I, so I, I do believe dreams have meaning. Sometimes the, dream, the meaning of the dream is your mind is still running through scenarios of the day or you're stressed about something, you're thinking about something, you're dreaming about... Sometimes these, this is the, the point of it. But sometimes God can give us dreams to do things. Okay? And this is why you know, we, we need to make sure that we have someone that is knowledgeable, that is spirit-led, that can help interpret some of these dreams because we can take something, if we're really worried about something and fretting about something and we have a nightmare about it because it's on our mind, we can't let it go and we're scared of something and so it's in our dreams. So we wake up and now we have this dream and now that just solidifies the fact, see, we were right. No, 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 no. So you need some discernment to help in this too, okay? Which is the, which is, uh, the scenario Pharaoh was in. He had these two dreams. He had an, I believe he had an idea of what they meant, but, okay, let's try to get some of these people who are supposed to be the wise guys, I mean wise men, and let's see what they've got to say, right? So Yah uses dreams, and the thing is, even if they're not in covenant, does God speak to people who are not in covenant? Guys, let's go back to this. God can speak to whoever He wants to, whenever He wants to, however He wants to, Okay? It's like he gives gifts. How? To whom he will, when he will, for what he will. Right? And doesn't scripture say that the heart of the king is in God's hands? Right? So yes, God can speak to people even if they're not in covenant. Here's a few examples. Genesis 20, verse 3. Abimelech. Abimelech was not a righteous man. God came to Abimelech and he said, you're about to die because the woman you've taken, she's someone's wife. Remember? Abraham and Sarah, right? Genesis 31, 24, God came to Laban. Laban. We do not have a record of Laban being a righteous man. Right? God came to him and spoke with him. Genesis 40, verse 5. So one night, the two of them, the king of Egypt's cupbearer and his baker, they're in prison, both had dreams. We don't have a record that these were godly men. They were just men who were working for Pharaoh. Genesis 41, 1. At the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. Are we saying that Pharaoh was a godly man? No, it never says that. Right? Genesis 41.5, you want to sleep again and drip the second time. Numbers 22.9, God came to Balaam. How did he come to Balaam? Balaam wasn't a righteous man. Right? Daniel 2.3, the king said, I had a dream and kept troubling my spirit till I know what it means. Wow. So God can use dreams to whomever he wants. Okay? And the thing is, some people are proud that they get dreams from God. Here's the thing, and, it's, and I'm not saying this is always the case. This is just a thought, right? Maybe God gets your attention in a dream because he doesn't have our attention when we're awake. Maybe. Kind of like, ooh, God gives me dreams. Maybe we should spend a little more time with him before we go to sleep. Maybe. I don't know. So who did Pharaoh call? He called the magicians, the uh, astrologers, all these people. The word is harton, the same as a horoscopist. Like, like you know, and, and again, yeah, the horoscopes and the stars, and all, yeah, that, that's always been a thing, guys. I mean, looking, looking for let the stars tell us what life means, you know, kind of a thing. God said, don't be dismayed at the signs and the wonders or anything like that. You don't live your life, you know, by the stars or anything. But God did create them and make them for signs and seasons and, and happenings and different things, but I don't need the stars to tell me I need to wash my clothes tomorrow. You know? He goes and he says, you know, he, so he calls all the magicians from the root word charet, meaning 
uh, to engrave or a chisel or a graver style of writing. Again, these who are supposed to uh, engrave their, their thoughts into him. You know, they're the wise men. They're writing all these things down to be passed on from generation to generation. The world's wisdom is not God's wisdom. Okay? The ways of the world and, and the, uh, the, the magicians and the wise men of the world are not the wise in the ways of Yahweh. They could not interpret the dream. Why? Because God had concealed the meaning of the dream from them. The only one who could interpret the dream was the one who God said could interpret the dream. And that was Yosef. So he goes and he calls them. They said, we've dreamed a dream. There's no interpreter. Yosef said, do not interpretations belong to whom? To God. And they said, tell, tell me them. So a dream given by Yah will be interpreted by Yah. Now he can choose who he wants to use to give you that interpretation. That's why we have to be careful of if we have someone to help us to give an interpretation of a dream, we need to know if they're reputable in doing so. We need to know if they are spirit-led and which spirit they're led by. <laughs> okay? So Yosef is, the time has now come, and Yosef is brought to Pharaoh. Now how is he brought to Pharaoh? Quickly. They grab him, they wash him, they shave him. Why would they have to do all that? Because he was in a prison. So they, they, they do, and they make him look Egyptian. That's the weird thing about it, is that they, they put him in Egyptian garments, they shave him, they do all this stuff to make him look Egyptian, and they bring him before the court. Now here's the thing. It's noted that the, uh, that the cupbearer told Pharaoh he was a Hebrew. So why would they make him look Egyptian? Now, here's just one thought, that when he came into the court, that, okay, Pharaoh knew that he was Hebrew, the cupbearer knew he was Hebrew, doesn't say anyone else in his court knew he was Hebrew. So we can't have a Hebrew coming before Pharaoh, interpreting a dream and telling him what he should do. See what I mean? Save face, right? And notice even that. When Pharaoh is put in as, as ruler over the world, what language does he speak? He speaks what the Egyptians speak. He doesn't speak Hebrew. He can, but he doesn't. Right? He speaks through interpreters. And we do see that. Because he had to look the part to be received. Weird, isn't it? But the time is coming when he's going to be unveiled. It's going to be seen who he really is. Hmm. He's brought quickly. Rabbi Israel Merkagan points out that when the time came for Yosef's liberation, he was not let out of prison slowly. Rather, he was rushed out of his captivity with the greatest of speed. This is the way the Holy One brings about redemption. The moment it is the proper time, not even one second is lost. This is how it will be with the final redemption, says the Hofa time. As soon as the right time comes, we will immediately be delivered from our exile. Can God immediately bring us out of exile? He's done it before. Hmm? So Genesis 41.15. So Pharaoh says to Joseph, I have dreamed a dream. It sounds like a song, doesn't it? I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of you that you can understand a dream to interpret. This is interesting phrasing. Okay, I'll put it that way. Because he doesn't say that you understand a dream to, un to interpret it. Now, in the Hebrew, it reads, Tishma halom liftor oto. So, the word that's literally you know or you understand is teda, from the word yodea, okay? Teda, but that's not the word that's used here. The word is tishma, from shema. So what he's saying, he's not saying, so I, I've heard that you can understand a dream to interpret it. He says, I under, I, I've heard that you hear to interpret. That you hear the dream to interpret. What's the difference? Because he's saying, I, 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 hear, that, I, I hear that you shema. That you hear, and, and listen to who? Listen for what? What does Yosef say? He says, to say the dream, maybe, you know, God is the one who gives interpretations, right? 
So he's not listening to Pharaoh. He's listening for the voice of the Holy One. And he's, what about us? If we are listening to the voice of the Holy One, what, what other voices are we going to hear? If we're listening for His voice and tuning into His voice and hearing what He has to say, we're not going to hear all the chatter. Because you think maybe that some of Pharaoh's wise men were around there that did not want Joseph to interpret this dream? That would make them look bad, wouldn't it? Hmm. But no. Joseph had a heart to Shema. And therefore, he could interpret the dream. As a result, Yosef was made a ruler. Wow. Pharaoh, which is interesting, Pharaoh says, in you is the Ruach Elohim. The testimony of the Spirit of God dwelling in someone was given from a pagan king to a Hebrew. Wow. Even he could see it. That the Ruach Elohim was in Yosef. And he said, surely there's none as wise and understanding as you. Which is one of, the, one of the marks of a person who the Spirit of God is in. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Throughout the Torah, the Tanakh, and the Brit Hadashah, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding is a mark of those who have the Spirit of God in them. And so here Pharaoh is testifying, in Yosef is the Spirit of God. And now think about this for a moment. Who is Yosef? And Yosef in exile? And Yosef scattered into all the nations? But yet the Spirit of Elohim is moving through Yosef again to bring them back. That is huge. So here, Yosef was made a ruler. And he says, Genesis 41.40, So you shall uh, be over my house, and according unto your word shall all my people be ruled, only in the throne will I be greater than you. Interesting. Because the word there for ruled, uh, if you look it up in the Strongs, it says that the word is nashach, nashach. The root word, which if you know how Strongs works, the Strongs doesn't give you the actual word that's used. It gives you the root word of the word that's used. Okay? Which sometimes can make a difference. Okay? Because it doesn't show you context. It just shows you the root word that you're looking at. Alright? So he says, the nashach. So the primitive root of, of to kiss, or literally to touch, or to equip, okay? But the actual word from the text is yishak, which means to be sustained. So there's a difference there. The Art Scroll Tanakh says, and by your command shall all my people be sustained. That's a little different, isn't it? Notice the difference. And by you, all my people will be ruled, or by you, all my people will be sustained. It sounds different, doesn't it? Yeah, because that's two different meanings. One is like, you know, to rule, or over. But another one, you're going to save their life. You're going to, you're going to, to help them to live and, and to continue. And, and, and because of you, because of your wisdom, because of God living in you, my people are going to live. And so I'm going to give you free reign to do whatever you need to do to do what you've got to do. Wow. What a testimony, huh? And he's like, well, this morning I was in the prison. Today, I'm second to Pharaoh. Wow. And Egypt was the superpower of the time, guys. So, literally, he was the ruler of the world. He, w- he went from the depths of the pit to be ruler of the, of the known world in an instant. Is that prophetic at all? Yeah, Yeshua. He went down to hell and got the keys. Grabbed authority back. Okay, Genesis 41-49. So Yosef gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he ceased counting because it was without number. That's That's a weird way to put it, right? He gathered so much grain it was like the sand of the sea. Why would you say it like that? Because the idea here, guys, what is the name Yosef? Yosef means to add. And what is, he, what is he a shadow of? The Messiah. And, the, and coming who is uh, the suffering servant who will, who will rise to all authority, right? And so in him, he gathers much grain. The word for grain is bar. But bar is also Aramaic for sun. So you could say he gathered much grain or he gathered 
sons. And again, why the weird, you know, he gathered grain like the sand? Because this is imagery of pointing us back to the promise that God gave to Abraham. Right? Genesis 22, 17, 18. In blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and the sand on, on the seashore. Hmm. So Yosef gathered grain. And again, like we said, the word grain is bar, just to show you there. And also means son. Do we find in the scripture where there are agriculture that represents people? About trees. There are many places in scripture where trees represent people. So is it a far cry from saying that wheat or grain represents people? Uh, what about the parable of the wheat and the tares? See? So again, Israel, sand, sea, all this coincidence? Or is God giving us prophetic imagery back to the promises that he had and looking for the time forward that is yet to be? Hosea 1, 10 and 11. So yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there it shall be said, you are sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Wow. So prophetic? Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, keep in mind, the name Yosef means to add. Now, what does this have to do with anything? Names mean things, guys, especially through Scripture. Okay? So you cannot say the name Yosef without thinking of adding, which is the idea. Because the name Yosef and the name Yosef were pointing towards another. We're pointing towards more. Look at this. Genesis 30, 22. God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Check this out. And she called his name Yosef, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. How'd you like to have that name? Yay, it's a boy. Lord, can I have another one? What's wrong with this one? This is a good one. What's wrong with this one? You can't return it. You know? Think about it. When he was born, the proclamation was, Lord, add to me another son. From, from his birth, it was declared that his name would mean to be added with another. That's prophetic of Israel, guys. Because in Yosef, we are brought in back together. We are brought back. So Yosef, even on his birth, is a picture of adding or pointing to another son. The circumstances surrounding him is to point the way to another who will add to Israel. This is pointing to the Messiah. This is pointing to redemption and us being added to Israel as sons. Matthew 9.35 Yeshua went through all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What did he call the people? The harvest. Harvest of what? Grain. Wheat. It was time, right? So he says, therefore, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Again, he's relating people to the grain. So the gathering the wheat and the tares, right? What's the deal with that? So we planted good seed, and, the, and, the, and, and the, we know the seed is the word, right? So the seed starts to grow, and we have these wheat that's growing up, but all of a sudden there's these tares that spring up with them. And they say an, an enemy has came in, and he has sown into these, because it's what it said, they came in and did that. So, and, and so do you want us to go and pull up all the weeds? What does he say? Matthew 12, uh, 13, 29. He said, no, because in gathering the weeds, you'll root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat into my barn. And who does he say the wheat is? The wheat are the righteous, right? So back to Genesis 41, 54. 
So seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph has said, there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh says to the Egyptians, what are you coming to me for? Doesn't he? He said, go to Joseph and do what he says. Literally. So what's that got to do with anything? Because, even, get the point, guys. Even Pharaoh was saying, hey, Joseph's the one in charge. That's something to take note of. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened the storehouses. How many storehouses? All of them. He didn't just open one or two. He opened all those, because they had storehouses all over, right? So he opened all the storehouses. And then he just gave to everyone who wanted it, right? No, here's the thing that we miss sometimes. He sold it to them. He taxed them to gather it for seven years. Boy, well, that'll cause a fight, won't it? He taxed them to gather for seven years all this grain. They brought it in, and then when the famine hit really hard, they opened up all the storehouses. I'll sell it to you. And he sold it back to them. And this, in this way, he became ruler over the world. Because the famine was so severe and so hard, it didn't just hit Egypt, it was widespread. And so the people would come and they would buy the grain. When they ran out of money, what could they use? Well, I have livestock. When they run out of livestock, what could they use? Land. Well, I ain't got nothing left but me. So I guess I'm yours too. In the end, think about it this way. If the people wanted to receive the bread of life that Joseph was giving them, they had to surrender themselves wholeheartedly to him. Does that sound like something? Verse 55 says, So when all the land was famished and the people cried to Joseph for, uh, Pharaoh for bread, Pharaoh said, Go to Joseph and do what he says. Traditional thought, again, this is just a midrash, okay? But it's worth noting because it is an interesting point. Traditional thought says Joseph had the ones who came to him to be circumcised. Why would that matter? One thing is one, he, would, he would check to see if they were because, hello, sons of Israel. You know when he would see his brothers, if his brothers would come back in, right? Here's another thing. All the ones who came to Joseph for the bread that gives life received the grain and the sign that they had accepted Joseph's rule over them. And they would also be a good way to determine if any of his brothers would come in. And that's uh, from the Chumash, the Gutnik edition. So why would they believe that Joseph had, to be, had them circumcised? This is why. To be uncircumcised was considered a shame. The word there is herpa. Herpa is the word for shame. Also in connection with famine. This word is used in connection with famine. Shame and famine, the words are connected. Ezekiel 36.30, I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field, and you shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. The word reproach, the word for shame, reproach, is the word that's there. So if we are outside of covenant, it is considered a reproach, right? The thought is, if we teshuva from our reproach, then Yah would lessen the reproach of famine. The idea was, if we repent, maybe God would have mercy and end the famine. So again, sign of covenant. Sign that people are surrendering themselves over to the one that could give them life. Believe it or not, it's still a good picture of what was going on. So, why would it be believed that Yosef thought this was necessary? Genesis 17, 12 and 13. So, he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child of your generations. He that is born in the house or brought with money or a stranger, which is not of your seed, he that is born in your house, and he that is bought with your money must needs to be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. In other words, it's put this way. Anyone who is under your authority or you have rule over must be circumcised. And this was to the household of Avraham, right? Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. So all that would be joined with them had to bear the sign of covenant. Maybe Joseph took this really personally. Hmm. All right, so he sold them the grain that was stored. Now, it's interesting wordplay. Interesting wordplay that's given here, because the word for grain is shavar, 
which means to deal or to buy grain, to buy or sell in the grain. Grain is the word shaver, right? But it's not just grain, it's like broken grain. Okay, because how do you, you don't just eat the whole pieces of, of the grain, do you? You, you? you shuck it, right? You break the whole, you use it, right? And you process it, right? So you, you break the grain. The word shaver also means a fracture, but also means a solution of a dream. Think about that. What was Joseph's dream? That these bales of, of wheat bowed down to him. So here we have the word for wheat to deal in the grain, to deal with the wheat, to deal with this as a solution to the dream that Joseph had with the wheat. Interesting? Coincidence? No, I think, again, if you read it in the Hebrew, I think God is trying to show us something. That he's even maybe just trying to tell Joseph that as you're dealing with this grain, this is how you're going to see the answer to your dreams. Did he? Yes, he did. Right? So, Genesis 42.5. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came for the famine that was in the land of Canaan. Really interesting. This is the very first time the phrase sons of Israel is used. This is the very first time the phrase sons of Israel is used. Why here? And what's the context? They were mixed in with all the others from all over the world who were coming to Joseph to receive the bread of life. So the very first time we see a picture of the sons of Israel, they're mixed with the masses from the world who are coming to Yosef. Does that sound like something? I don't know, maybe the dry bones? Maybe the two sticks? You see the similarity there? And as a side note, how many sons of Israel went to Joseph? Ten. Well, how many are in the northern kingdom? Ten. Now, it's not the same ones, but the number. Think of the representation. How many went? Ten. So how many tribes are going to Joseph even in the last days? Ten. You see, see the picture there? Talk about restoration. Talk about things that are coming. All nations. Zechariah 8.22 So many people in strong nations shall come to seek Yahweh Sava'ot in Jerusalem and to pray before Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh Sava'ot, in those days it shall come to pass, ten men shall take hold out of all the languages of the nations and take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Again, ten men from all nations, all languages. Now, when you talk about all nations, all languages, normally it talks about the 70 nations. So why 10 men from all nations? The only representation we have of 10 men representing all nations is the northern kingdom that was scattered in, in, because of idolatry, scattered into ex exile. In the picture, I will grab the hold of, of the skirt of him who was a Jew saying, we will go with you. Well, who's this guy? Yeshua, the Messiah. Who's Yosef a picture of? The Messiah, right? So, famine reveals our character. And if we trust Yah. True? It's easy to say, God, I love you when things are great. Can we say, God, I love you when things aren't that great? Right? Famine for the sons of Israel? Nah, God wouldn't cause a famine in the sons of Israel, right? No, all the patriarchs experienced famine. You know, Abraham experienced famine, Isaac experienced famine, Jacob experienced famine. They all experienced famine. And so here we are. They're going through the process of the same that everybody else in the world is doing. Matthew 5.43, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons, check it out, there's that again, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he what? makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. It's the same sun, the same rain, you know, two pieces of land right next to each other, two different owners, two different properties, same sun, same rain. So, what's the difference? The heart of the people is the difference. It was because of the famine that the sons of Israel were brought to a place of what? Accountability and repentance. Because of the famine, they ended up coming before, coming before 
Pharaoh, but Joseph. Because of the famine, it forced them into a place where they started a process of, of reconciliation and restoration with their brother, even though they didn't know it. Perfecting of sons. This is what famine can help do. James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. You know, where's the, no, the testing of your faith produces fetching and moaning and groaning and right? <laughs> no, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Right? Luke twenty two thirty one. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that what? John, did, John talked about this last week, didn't he? I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. He didn't say, but I rebuked him and he can't touch you. He said, so I prayed that your faith won't fail. And when you've returned, what? <laughs> It is implying he's going to fall away. You think Peter had a fam- place of famine in his life? Mm-hmm. Good thing it didn't last long, though, right? Because it says, when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. Nothing like a new, fresh perspective, right? Famine of life? Yeah. Amos 8, 11 and 12 says the same thing. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but hearing the words of the Lord. Literally, to hear the words of the Lord. Im lishmoa et devarav yonhevavhe. So, literally, of hearing the words of the Lord. Not, not a famine of speaking the word of the Lord. A famine of hearing it. And it's not just hearing it. It's obeying it. The word is Shema. Okay? So he says there's a famine of people who will hear and obey the word of the Lord. What was the testimony of Joseph? I have heard that you, Shema, so I want to talk to you. Right? Trying to find life, or let's just say sustenance, from any other source will leave you wandering and lacking. What does the next verse say? Amos 8, 12. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they won't find it. If the word is being proclaimed, why can't they find it? Because the shortage isn't it being spoken, the shortage is being obeyed. So they're not finding the word from the Lord because they're listening for the wrong thing. They're not listening to His voice. They're not listening to Shema, His word. They're, li- they're listening possibly for confirmations of their own thoughts and their own words and their own things that they want. You know, Funny how we often say, well, this is what I want, God, and the Lord told me. Funny how the Lord told me always is what I want. You, know, you would think, okay, when God says something, it doesn't always line up with something that, I, that I'd always want or enjoy. Maybe the Word of, of God sometimes comes to us to change us or to perfect us. Right? 2 Timothy 4.3 For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, stories. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land I swore to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way of life that Yahweh your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might, what? Humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Not so that he would know what was in your heart, so you would know what was in your heart, right? To for what? Whether you would keep his commandment or not. How? And he humbled you and let you hunger. The famine. He, he humbled you and let you hunger, and so he would fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. Wow. He allowed them to go to a place of famine so that they would know if they loved God or they loved the thought of God. You say, so I love God because he delivered me. He set me free. He got me out of the Egyptians. Right? And now I'm going to go do my own thing. No. If he redeemed you and you're his, you follow him, you walk with him, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, and walk in his ways, right? Genesis 42, 7. So Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Why? Because he looked Egyptian. He spoke through an interpreter. Everything about him looked like the rest of the world. He did not look Hebrew. He did not sound Hebrew. He, nothing about it gave the, any idea that this would be their brother. But he recognized them. But he was veiled. You see that? So much of the Torah, how many times do we see something that is veiled to be revealed? All over the place, right? So, do Joseph's brothers recognize him? No, they did not. Okay, what about today? Even today, do Joseph's brothers recognize him? No. No, my prayer is that that will change, though. Micah 2.12 I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob, and I will gather who? The remnant of Israel. And I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in a pasture, a noisy multitude of men. Ezekiel 28.25 Thus says the Lord God, when I gather who? The house of Israel, from the people among whom they are scattered, and manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, then they shall dwell in their own land that I gave to my servant Yaakov. Wow. A lot of good stuff there, right? Okay, so Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. This is pretty cool. Because we find in John 1, verse 10 through 12, he was in the world, the world was not made by him, the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Wow. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Here, Joseph is standing before his brothers, but they didn't acknowledge him as their brother. Probably because it's not what they expected to see. Well, when Yeshua came, it's not what they expected to see. Covering and revealing. Isaiah 42.16 So I will bring the who? Blind. We'll show you that in a second. I will, I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. Weren't we once blind? We were blind. We see. We were out of covenant. We're in covenant. We were not in the commonwealth of Israel. We are now part of the commonwealth of Israel, right? So I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them, crooked things straight. These things I will do to them and not forsake them. Hebrew is pretty interesting. It, it reads, Veholakti, um, and the word is Ivrim, but it's not Hebrew. The word there for blind is Ivrim. Okay? So the word Ivrim is what I want to look at. There's the word Avar is the root spelled Ein Vav Resh. Ein Vav Resh. And it means like a film over the eyes or blind. Now Hebrew is Ein Bet Resh. What's the difference between being blind and being Hebrew? A Bet. If you take the Vav, Change it to a bet. We were blind, but now when we're joined to the house, we become Hebrew. We were blind. When God takes us in ways that we did not know, when we have crossed over, we're now Hebrew. See, as I was blind, now I see. What about Joseph? He brought people from all over, and they were added. What's Yosef? Add. They were added to him. And he supplied for their house. Similar? See restoration there? In order for reconciliation between the brothers to occur, two things must happen. There's a lot around there, but two main things must happen. One, Yosef must be able to change his opinion and his attitude toward his brothers. Why? Well, first off, he has to forgive them for what, he, for what they did to him. And others, uh, are they, are they going to do it again? You know, he doesn't trust them, obviously, right? Can he change his attitude toward them to, for uh, reconciliation here? Joseph's brothers would have to change their view of Yosef. 
Remember, they hated him. They could not speak peaceably to him. They couldn't do anything good toward him. So in other words, both people have to change their view of each other and how they live and receive one another to bring restoration. Guys, that's how we are. We can't look at someone else and say, well, I'm this, but they are, you know. No, because you weren't any better, okay? We have to make sure that we can see others the way Yah desires for them to be seen. Can we see them as He sees them? Genesis 42, 14. So Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you were spies. Remember, he's speaking roughly to them, right? He's testing them, right? So they hated me. Do they hate my brother, Benjamin? They tried to kill me. Did they try to kill him too? Right? By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. And he put them together in custody for how long? Three days. Hmm. On the third day, Joseph said, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody. Remember, he, he switched it. He said, I'm keeping all of you. Send one of you. And now he's flipped it. All right. You all can go, but I'm keeping one of you. Who would he choose? Hoshea 6, 1 and 2. Again, it's about this third day thing, right? It's an interesting thing about this third day thing. So come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he may heal us. He has struck down, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. Remember, after in the beginning of this partial, Miketz, what? Two years of days, right? After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. So Israel, his brothers, were bound up and held for how long? Three days. And on the third day, they were released with the charge to go and bring back, to join with the son of the right hand, the son of promise, and to bring him back. However, Shimon was withheld till they would return. Keep this in mind as well. Scripture says if we are crucified with him, we are buried with him, we are resurrected with him. So I believe this is another picture of that little piece of Scripture. Okay? So Shimon was withheld from them. Right? What does that mean? After interrogating him, he keeps Shimon. Reuben was the one in charge. Remember when they were out there? Reuben says, no, let's throw him in the pit, right? So Reuben was the one in charge. And he heard Reuben say, guys, I told you that we shouldn't do this, right? So who was the next one? Reuben, he already knew that Reuben was the one, Reuben was the one in charge, but he said, don't harm him. So who was the next one in charge? Shimon. Simeon, Shimon. So, he's going to keep Shimon. Which is interesting because of what his name means. Shimon is hearing. Yeah, from the word Shema, right? Shimon is hearing. So, their hearing was bound and withheld from them for a time. Their hearing of Israel was bound and withheld from them for a time. I don't know, maybe that sounds prophetic? Yeah, it does. Their hearing would be restored to them upon the brothers proving that they had cared for Benjamin, or the son of strength, or the son of blessing. Romans 11.8 says, According as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, ears they should not hear, unto this day. When all Israel is being brought back. When Yehuda recognizes Yosef, Yosef sees Israel, and they're all coming together to be gathering in together as one. Romans 11.25 Brothers, I want you to understand this truth which God formerly concealed, but now is revealed, so that you won't imagine you know more than you actually do. It is that stoniness to a degree that has come upon Israel until Meloha Goyim, the fullness of the Gentiles, return. And it is in this way all Israel will be saved, as the Tanakh says. Out of Zion will come the Redeemer, and he will turn away ungodliness from Yaakov. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So until Maloha Goyim, until the, those who filled the nations return. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So much prophetic imagery in these Parsha. 
Matthew 23, 37. Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, you kill the prophets. You stone those who were sent to you. How often I wanted to gather your children just as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you refused. Look, God is abandoning your house to you, leaving it desolate. For I tell you, from now on you will not see me again until you say, what? Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. So Yosef made a way for all to be saved. He made the way for it. He opened all the storehouses, not just a few of them, all of them. But the only people who got the grain are the ones who went to get it. They didn't go door to door to door to door to say, hey, do you want grain? Do you guys need grain? The grain was there. It was available for them all, but they had to go get it. And once they got there, they had to make the price to receive it. They had to pay what was needed to pay. And in this case, if we come to the one that can give us the bread of life, what is the cost? We lay down our life as he laid down his. So the brothers respond to their interrogation. How do they respond? So then they says to one another, In truth, we're guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. So that's why this distress is upon us. Joseph is hearing them saying, we're being interrogated. We're being treated hard now because of what we did to Joseph. Wow. So he's hearing this. And Reuben says, I told you not to sin against the boy, but did you listen to me? Right? So he sends them back. He keeps, he keeps Shimon, but he sends them back. And he sends them back with their money in their sacks. That'll scare you. Because now he's going to say, we stole the money. Right? So this reminded, uh, they're, they're reminded of Yosef because of their silver being returned to them and Shimon being left behind. So now they get to a point of time where they run out of food again. I mean, food only lasts so long, right? And so Yaakov says uh, he lost Yosef, he lost Shimon. Now you want me to lose Benjamin too? Can you imagine? I mean, Jacob is saying what? It's not good that I've lost two sons already? He's already, he, he, okay, he's saying, okay, Joseph, is, you guys, you were supposed to care for Joseph, you let him die. You were supposed to care for your other brothers, you let Simeon, he's as good as dead. Right? And now you're going to take Benjamin and have him killed too? What happens? Judah lays his life down for him. Judah stands to his father and says, if I don't bring him back, I will give my life for that. You think Judah's maybe changing a little bit? Yehuda guarantees Benjamin's safety. Before he said, let's kill our brother, but now he promises his brother's safety. Has he changed? Quite possibly. John 15, 13 says, no greater love has someone than he lay down his life for his friends, right? So Genesis 43, 14. What a declaration by Jacob. I mean, think about this. May God Almighty give you mercy as you go before the man, so that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return. But if I must lose my children, so be it. Wow. Can you imagine being in such a place? May God give you favor so that when you go, he lets Simeon come back. But if some of my sons must die to save the rest of the family then so be it. Let me kind of paraphrase it this way. If one of my sons laying their life down will save the rest of Israel, so, so be it. Is that starting to sound like something else? Genesis 43.14 May El Shaddai, God Almighty, the watchman of the gates of Israel, give you mercy and compassion to release your hearing to release your hearing to you, to let the Son of the right hand of strength and blessing return, so that if He returns, we'll find some may be lost, but some will be saved. Prophetic? Yes. Genesis 43.16 So when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home and slay and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. How's that for scary? We came back. He's still got our brother in jail. We ended up with the silver that we brought back with us. We don't know what's going on. We come before him to buy more. We've got our brother, and now he wants us to come meet with him. He's really got their mind going. 
right? The ruler of the world, Yosef, the ruler of the world saw the son of the blessing and strength with them. And when he saw the son of blessing and strength with them, he said, bring them into my house today. We will have a banquet. Sound like something else to you? After Yeshua rose, he appeared to his disciples. And what happened? John 21.10. So Yeshua says to them, bring of the fish which you have caught. Simon Peter went up and he drew the net to the land uh, full of the great fishes, 153, which by the way is, is, is alluding to sons of God, sons of Elohim. And uh, 153, for there were so many yet, the net was not broken. And Yeshua says to them, come and dine. And none of the, none of the disciples, disciples asked him, who are you? Because they knew it was him, right? What's Revelation 19.9 say? The angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to... The marriage supper of the Lamb. He said, these are the true words of God. So when it was revealed who He was, and when all the sons come before, they have a banquet. They sit down, and they dine together. Wow. Pretty amazing stuff, right? You're starting to see a lot of the imagery and a lot of the, 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 the foreshadows of what God is trying to tell us. You're starting to see how the life of Joseph goes beyond the life of one man and how the life of Joseph truly is a picture for all Israel and restoration. That's my hope as we continue to see that. Amen?